Welcome to Leading the Evolution with Tanya Kunze. It's all about how successful people stay successful, no matter what life throws at them, how they balance business, personal and interpersonal, while staying positive and focused. Each episode formulates a story about how champions of industry have adapted, psychologically, physically and emotionally throughout their lives, and specifically to the new normal in 2020. Tanya is a neuroscience coach, author and global keynote speaker. And in each episode, she investigates and digs into the skill set and methodologies her guests have applied successfully to be agile in business, medicine and entrepreneurialism for you to practically adopt to your life. Welcome back to Leading the Evolution. I'm Tanya Kunza. In my last episode, we chatted to Naraj Kapoor, the best-selling author and professional sales coach, and he shared some powerful insights into sales and sales management. Today, I have a very exciting champion of industry in studio with me, who is literally a champion at everything he touches, Dr. Shane Dorfman. Welcome to Leading the Evolution. Thank you, Tanya. So happy to be here. Thank you. So I remember introducing you at a corporate event that we facilitated a few years ago. And this time I'm actually going to have to read your achievements because I remember trying to, dis to discuss them and remember them was a mission because there are so many. So we're going to start with one aspect of you, which is um, your whisker, whisker, is it whisker? How do you whisker. It? Whisker and seven-time KWF World Karate Champion and the youngest ever seventh degree black belt that's seventh dan in mainstream japanese karate organization which is incredible so the question i want to ask you now is tell us a bit about your journey in karate and the key challenges at the moment great well <clears throat> so my journey has actually been quite long so next year will be my 40th year of doing karate Oh, that's yeah, incredible. It tells a lot about my age. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's actually been a phenomenal journey, and it's been a fascinating journey because I've been able to do it with my father. Okay. So, so my father was my initial, well, was my coach, is my sensei. He's the ninth Dan, the highest graded Western in the world, and certainly in our organization. He's, in fact, number two worldwide in our organization. Wow. Uh, our boss being uh, the legendary Miki Yahara sensei. Sure. Uh, right. So... I started just before my sixth birthday. Maybe a, an interesting little uh, tidbit for your, for your uh, podcast listeners. On the first day I started, my father said to me, do you want to start karate? And I said to him, yeah, I do. And I was six, bearing in mind, just under six. And he said to me, right, you can do this one of two ways. One, you, we can, you can do it like everybody else. Or two, I'm going to be so super hard on you and you'll become world champion. What Which did do you, you want? Choose? I chose the world champion. Oh, there we go. That's typical of your profile, though. Well, yeah. And listen, I want to tell you, he, he trained me. I mean, people wanted to take him to social welfare when I was a kid. <laughs> but I would do it all over again. The sacrifices were immense. They have to be. To become world champion in something, you really do have to sacrifice a lot of your childhood, particularly if you're starting mm. that young. But I would do it all over again. The benefits that I've derived from karate are just profound. What are the underpinners of that? Because if we look at it, you know, you chose the hard road. You chose to get thrown into the pool to learn how to swim and instead of being nurtured, you know. So what are the underpinners we can take from that from a business perspective and from a character building perspective that parents listening could apply to their right. kids? Well, well, the first thing I, I think I think I need to qualify something. Yes. So he was sensei on the floor. Yes. but very much dad off the floor. Okay. And how he was with me off the floor was very different to on the floor. Very but good. I was, he, he brought me up Japanese style karate. 
you know, really hard. You had to train hard. I trained hard. I had discipline. And I think, I think those, if, if we're going to pull a couple of key elements out of this, let's talk about discipline. Yes. So obviously I teach karate as well. I've got my schools running. <clears throat> and often the, when I, the parents cite the reasons for bringing their child or adults for bringing themselves is discipline. You know, life skills. <clears throat> sorry. Okay. you to death there. Um, and, you know, as Colin said, to go from good to great, you need disciplined people with disciplined thought and disciplined action. Absolutely. And I think if you apply discipline in business, that's how, as Colin says, you go from good to great. Mm -hmm. but, but the second thing is perseverance. Mm. I watch now parents let their children give up so easily. Mm. And they let them do, I, I understand they're busy, and particularly in this period of time, they all zoomed out, you know, they've got so many online sessions going. But you've, you, if your child commits to something, I'm not saying force him forever and a day so that he hates life. Which, no. And when I say he, I mean he and she. Yeah, believe yeah. Me, we, we have a ton of girls doing karate as well, yes. which is phenomenal. Um, but I feel they, they let the kids give up too easily. So we need resilience. We need discipline. And you need perseverance. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the interesting thing is I've got the, the little one in school. He's 10. So we're doing homeschooling. And I was speaking to the, the, the HR director of BMW. She's also got a, a little boy the same age. And we work. So what we've said to both of them is we've actually taught them skills. They're both gamers, which has been playing in our benefit because they're actually able to manage online with ease. So they're navigating online better than I could. But the nice thing is we've said, right, this is what your schedule looks like today. We've set alarms in their phones five minutes before each thing that they need to do. They've got to be accountable to what they had to achieve. And they're on their own. They're doing homeschooling and we're checking in. And the confidence, the maturity, and the capability that our kids are coming through with, I think this is potentially an incredible learning skill that they're getting. It's discipline coming in. Right. So, so let's just unpack that a little bit. So you've said two things that I, that I think are really important. The one is you've created structure in such an uncertain environment. Yes. Now, if we think about this, to my mind, the biggest challenge we face at the moment is this pervasive uncertainty. Yes. And I refuse to use the word unprecedented because everyone uses that word. So I'm using pervasive uncertainty. I love it. There you go. Um, but the truth of it is, have a, look, have a look around you. So you're worried about your health and those of your loved ones. Yes. In my case, my wife's a radiologist as well. Yes. Um, so, so now you've got two doctors in one household being, you know, it's a double whammy. Um, that's the first thing. Economic, I mean, the economic contraction that we're facing is staggering. Mm, mm. So people are worried about their livelihoods, their businesses. And more than that, I think everybody is worried about where to from here. Mm. And so how do you, so one of the key ways to counter that is to create some sort of framework. Yes. The problem, of course, is because there's so many unknowns, look at all the modeling going on. So all the epidemiological modeling is really spewing out rubbish. Let's just understand academia modeling. Oh, sorry, epidemiological. Epidi yes, yes. Yeah, so, so really the course of the disease and who it affects and how it affects, you know, so epidemiology. Um, <clears throat> but what's happening is like with any model, garbage in, garbage out. And in fairness to the epidemiologists, they know so little about this. And of course it's iterative and, and so the models get, a, get improved as you learn more about the disease. But the reality is no one knows how to deal with this. Yeah. I mean, have a look at the ideological conflicts going on at the moment. Is it about health? Is it about the economy? Which one, which one supersedes the other? And how do, you, how do you then unravel this lockdown? Sorry, I know we've gone completely no, off topic of the karate. but great. Well, and we can certainly come no, back to it. it's very healthy. But 
do we do this this strict lockdown that we've had and yeah. then what happens you decimate the economy yeah i mean so i was reading an article in forbes the other day where they said the united states under strict lockdown was losing 14 billion dollars a day sure i mean you just That's wrap crippling. those exactly mm. wrap those figures around your you know? Yeah, well, I was at a, a Stanlib event about a week and a half before lockdown was, was spoken about. And we had screens up saying how for the first time in, uh, since 2008, the American economy was actually spending again. People were feeling like they had money, they were feeling a bit flush, and they were actually starting to, to spend. Mm. And to, the economy was booming. And then all of a sudden, it's now gone into this let me hold on to everything. So it's gone from a, a consciousness mindset with abundance into a definitive lack mindset. So let's, yeah. discuss, let's discuss that a little bit from okay. your perspective. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so the abundance mindset is interesting. And I, I, know, I know many of your listeners probably would have seen that 21-day challenge that Deepak Chopra <laughs> was sending around with the abundance. So I, again, I'm just bouncing around. So I'm an avid proponent of meditation yes i want to okay. talk about that yes okay so we've got so much more to say although on the karate know, side we'll and the other side that. but we'll, we'll come, come back, back to it. it um so i started meditating maybe about sure it's probably about five years ago now mm. um i do something called the art of living which is a sedation kriya i know you do transcendental meditation yes. um but the truth of it they're all different paths up the same mountain yes. i mean what are you trying to achieve here you're trying to achieve a a level of centeredness, yes. a level of empathy. But more than that, they've actually done peer-reviewed studies that have shown the benefits of meditation. Ah, oh, now I want to hear all about those. Now you've got my attention. Right. So I like structure. I like frameworks. So I'm going to categorize them. You and, do that. And by the way, this is the point I was making to you. You need frameworks. You need structure. And this is what you've created for, for your child. Yes. And look how well he's doing with it. Yes, right? amazing. Yeah. And by the way, we need to talk about how to learn. So ah, we'll come back to that. Okay, putting, okay. putting a pin in there. Yeah. Um, but let's go back to the meditation benefits. So their cognitive benefits, where they've shown, they've actually shown structural changes in your brain. So I, I am a radiologist, so MRI, you know, obviously I understand yes. MRI and, and all the, the fancy MRIs that have come out. But what they've shown is the cortical part of your brain, so in other words, the gray matter, has yes. actually increased in size if you meditate. Now, what that tells you is that it's going to ward off things like Alzheimer's, dementia, etc., where you get gray matter loss. The, the second uh, uh, part of your brain that changes is your amygdala. Yes. Now, I know you have a yes. strong neuroscience background. Yes. So as you know, the amygdala is responsible for cortisol, all your, all your stress hormone release. Fight, flight, and freeze. Mm. Exactly. So what's happened is that shrinks. So you have less stress. It actually shrinks. It actually shrinks. And the knock-on effect of that is all the cardiovascular benefits of not having the surge of cortisone and adrenaline going on all the time. Oh, so, my God. You know, because fight and flight is, is great when you need it. Yes. But if you're in that constant fight or flight mode, the impact it has on you, yes. you know, is, is prevalent. Yes, sleep and, and eating disorders and a number of things. Yeah. So the fascinating thing there is that it actually forces you then into a conscious mindset. Because if you're thinking in the neocortex or prefrontal cortex or anterior cingulate, you're thinking far more consciously and far more structured. Exactly. And your solutions are there and your problem solving less inattention or blindness. Whereas if you're in the amygdala, you're just thinking from the icon center of the yeah. brain because you're going to find all the problems. Exactly. And, and you become totally focused on whatever that problem is and you, can't, and you, you lose that centeredness. Oh, so, so okay. you know, Viktor Frankl said that between response, sorry, between stimulus and response, there's choice. Yes. 
And I love that. Yes. Because if you think about it, and you know, I've had this conversation with, with friends, with, with uh, family before. If you respond in that anger state, mm -hmm. you lose power. 100%. You, you can't respond. It mm -hmm. can't be constructive. It's just going to make things far worse. But if you sit back, I'm not, so no one's saying you should, you should lose, you, you be, a, be a, you know, let people jump all over you. But what you should be able to do is act with, so it's a, the, the head of Art of Living or the founder of it always talks about dispassion. Yes. So he's not saying don't he's not saying don't have passion. What he's saying is don't be feverish in any response you make. Love it. So you want to be dispassionate, not lack passion. It's completely different. Totally different. And to be dispassionate, you need to be in a center Detached space. Detachment. Exactly. And that's your manifestation story, right? There we go. Just let Absolutely. It go. I love right. it. And you know what? There's something going around. I'm trying to think of the framework now. It says, don't, don't underestimate or don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Exactly. And it's exactly that dynamic where I recently had a situation where there was this, um, this lady who was quite confrontational with me. And I just chose to dismiss it because it was irrelevant. And, you know, I could choose to go into a drama and have a whole host of information. Or I can just let it go. And it's her stuff and let her deal with it on her own. And I'm staying detached from it. It wasn't weakness. It was just detachment. Impacted strength, mm. I would argue. But that's exactly the point. And you came from a very centered place. You analyzed the situation and then you formulated your response. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a reactive response. Mm -mm. And that's what we're trying to avoid. Absolutely. So the one other thing of interest of structural change in the brain, by the way, yes. um, is the hippocampus actually increases in size. Now, your hippocampus wow. is responsible for certain cognitive functions like memory, for example. Mm -hmm. So now you've got warding off of dementia. You've got enhanced ah. cognitive function. You've got reduced stress on your body. What, I mean, that's just it's phenomenal. It's incredible. And then if we're learning every day, we're adding to the density of our neural networks and the part of the brain that actually matters because it's going to help enable us and take us and we'll remember what we study. Correct. So meditation benefits already are just incredible. Exactly. And then, of course, it boosts your immune system, uh, the cardiovascular benefits that I've mentioned, the psychological decrease, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. So, so, so they're, they're really innumerable. Okay. And, and if I leave your audience with one thing, Meditate. Meditate. Okay, yeah. so that's the one take that's I think already is point, meditate. Yeah. We've now proven it from a medical perspective. Right. I'm loving it. So I've just started studying cognizant neuroscience, which obviously okay. is the psychology and the neurons in the brain all sort of coming together to form the human. And cognizant neuroscience, neuroscience robotics is how they get robots with AI to, to, to mimic the human. And you leaned into how to learn. Yes. And you triggered a big light bulb for me because it's a huge bugbear for me because I know how many kids out there would do so much better and adults if they just knew how to learn and you know we were never taught at school how to learn so hmm. over to you Mr. Dorfman Dr. Dorfman sorry right. well, well well again so and we, we, we need to go back to AI a little bit with deep learning <laughs> neural <laughs> networks because AI and radiology has become a major topic. But, okay. but we'll, I'll leave we'll you go back to, in there. Yeah, and then we still need to revisit some of the karate stuff. But, but they're actually interlinked, <laughs> not, not the karate and the AI, the karate and the learning. So okay. there is no question that my karate has helped me academically, in life, in business. So the training of karate, for example, using left and right, left and right brain activity, the response time, the reaction time, creating neuros, uh, neuromuscular pathways, new synapses, there's no question that it just reformulates your brain. Yeah. Um, so people think karate, oh, it's punching and kicking, but really the, the physical benefits are far outweighed in my mind by the 
cognitive benefits and even the spiritual benefits. Yes. You know, the value system attached to it. Yes. Um, I, you know, there's something called the five maxims of karate, which are character, sincerity, effort, etiquette, and self-control. And I think if we can apply that in our daily lives, you really become a much better human. It would change everything. And you know, that leads me to think about something else that um, Carissa Hector from BMW was talking about, is how the, sort of the cream is rising to the top in the corporate space. And people with higher EQ, which is what you've just described, mm. and people that are actually realizing that the enemy is not within the company. At the moment, it's a microscopic enemy outside. And yeah. we're all unifying. And because we're unifying, some companies are doing incredibly well. They're coming together. And in times of crisis, the one thing that the human does is actually come together, which is interesting. Well, that's the upside of this. I think humanity has become far more humane. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and on the karate side, actually. So what's happened is you've seen so much of this collaboration going mm -hmm. on. In fact, a group was formed, I think, um, um, an online group, where it now just hit 12,000 members. And what they've done is got guys from all over the world to give classes, starting with some more high-profile people and, um, you know, sort of higher grades. But it's, and I've given a couple of classes on it. And what's, what else has happened is they've pulled your sort of mid-range, third dance, fourth dance, but from different countries. There's been, there's been this interaction. There's been an exchange oh, of ideas. Wow. Everyone's doing it for free. And people have been able to train. Yep. And, and, you know, it's quite interesting because... You then also sit back sometimes and realize how privileged you are. Yeah. You know, and you know, I saw a brilliant meme where it was, we're not all in the same boat. No. We're in the same storm, but not in the same boat. Absolutely. You know, it's very nice for us. We've got a, you know, nice house and you can watch Netflix. How do you compare that to someone who's living 10 people in a shack without running water? Sure. You know, I mean, and, and this, this is the problem. And this yeah. is why lockdown hasn't actually really worked. No. How do you lock down the township? where people are living in squalor like Absolutely. that. It's just not possible. And we've heard a lot about the suicides being on the increase dramatically. Mm. And also the nonverbal communication that's going out there, you know, wearing masks, being unable to actually express yourself. You know, you walk in a in the shopping mall, whatever it is, and you want to go buy some bread and you walk past people and they're avoiding you. On some psychological level, you're being avoided. And, yeah. you know, you, you can only get so much from brief eye contact. And then they're sort of looking away because they don't actually want to engage you. So it's this isolation of the pack mentality, which, and we are pack mentality. We, we're mm. meant to be community, and mm. the community is being disassembled. Well, well um, in Sapiens, I'm sure you've heard of that book, yes. one of the things he was saying why it, um, mankind overwhelmed everyone else is because of that community exactly. and collaboration. So exactly right. So now it's, just, it's our small community. And the problem is if you've got a, a negative mindset within that lockdown community and people are negative and someone's on the brink of suicide, it could push them over the edge. No, there's, there's definitely going to be a surge in that. Um, but but it's, that brings us to another interesting point. So mm. let's talk about the healthcare sector for yes. a bit. And sorry, I, I do realize I still haven't answered your question about learning. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Um, I've got them written down so we can right. always refer So, so maybe, maybe for your audience, a little bit of my medical yes. background. All right. So I'd like to just let you know a little about, a bit about Shane's um, information further to the karate is that he's graduated cum laude both as a medical doctor and in an MBA. And he went on to become a specialist radiologist with special interest in chest radiology. Also completed the Global Health Leadership Program through the University of California, Berkeley and Barcelona Graduate School of E-Commerce and has served on the boards of a number of healthcare companies, both in executive and non-executive capacities. So Shane, please share some information because you've got so much credibility here in this line of thinking. 
Um, well, so, so the healthcare sector has been quite interesting. So, of course, everyone was worried about the healthcare sector being overwhelmed. Yes. As it was in Italy, et cetera, in New York. Um, but we're currently facing the complete opposite scenario. And I'm talking private sector, but even the public sector hasn't really had a massive surge until now in the Western Cape yes. of COVID cases. Um, so we're sitting in private hospitals, which are completely underutilized. Yep. Elective cases are canceled. Beds have been kept uh, waiting for this COVID surge. Yeah. And in the meantime, clini clinical doctors aren't really working. Our imaging mm -hmm. is down significantly. And it's a, a double-edged sword because it's not just that they've canceled all the elective cases. People are actually scared to come to the hospital yeah. for the emergency cases. So, so, in fact, the Emergency Medicine Association put out a, a note going, listen, if you're having chest pain, please come into the hospital. You're mm -hmm. safer with us treating you than dying at home. And there's actually been a surge of pre-hospital death oh, because of this. Word. You know, I, I can see that coming through. I mean, even even from the small things, you know, I, I treated my son with a middle ear infection from home. I didn't want him to go to the doctor. Right. I mean, it, it's right. one of those things. But what, ha what if it was a, an inner ear infection? Yeah. What if it was more than that? So, so, so maybe take home, uh, take home point number two is mm. if you're having a medical emergency, please go to the hospital. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 yeah. Don't avoid yeah. it. You're safer yeah. there. And also the precautions are there, you yeah. know. They, yeah. They're making sure that, that it is a sterile environment. They, they, sure. You know, so you are safer to, to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly safer than you would be in your grocery store. That's, no, 100%. And people are going to the grocery store quite comfortably now because we get used to an environment. Correct. So first time you go, you get nervous. Second time, you might not get as nervous. You no, might exactly. wipe down the boxes just exactly. as much as you did the first time. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so from a radiology perspective, it's also been very interesting because it's, we probably, of all the specialities, are most primed for a virtual world. So, of course, not all of radiology can be done at home. You know, we still have ultrasound, which has to be done on the patient. You have screening cases, and we have some intervention that we do on patients as well. Yes. Um, but a lot of it can be reported from home. Chest X-ray, CTs, MRIs, I can report that anywhere in the world. You know, we have our, it's sure. called the PACS, which is a picture archiving and communication system. I can latch onto it from, from home, from New York, if I want to. Yes. And report. Yes. And so, interestingly, I've... From, from the moment I joined my practice, I've been a strong advocate of changing the way we work, not just in my practice, because radiology, like most medical fields, is quite traditional. You know, when you were an intern, was you were a karate chop on the desk, by the way. So, yes. you know, when, <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did badly. The desk is intact. Um, <clears throat> but the point is this. When we were interns, yes. you got killed, 80, 100-hour weeks, 36-hour shifts. Yeah. And why? Because the generation before you did it, therefore you must do it. Ah. And, you know, the, you need to have agility. You have to have malleability. You have to adjust to the times. And so what's happened during this period is we've been able to work from home part of the time. Yeah. And I think it's working phenomenally well. And I've been a massive advocate because I think it enhances productivity. Absolutely. But there's a caveat. Tell us. So, so. Another article I read. <laughs> I've had time to read. And this is the thing. Where have we ever had time to unplug like I know. This? It's amazing. I'm getting to do things I've been dreaming of doing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, although it's enough now. I, I do want to get back to full film. <laughs> well, I've finished it all now. I've got to start dreaming up new stuff. Right, but right. tell us about the caveat. Yeah, so, so, so what I wanted to say, so the, this article I read was a study that came out of California um, that showed productivity actually increases 47% at home. But the caveat I want to make is it depends because okay. it depends on your discipline and, yeah. I, and I'm going to harp on this discipline again yeah. because it's about discipline. When you're home, it's so easy to be distracted, sure. right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is you need to make your home environment the most comfortable you can 
to work. Absolutely. So the biggest problem I have, so I have a bad disc in my neck, um, and we sit for 10 hours straight reporting in that sure. chair, um, and my neck kills me by the end of the day. Okay. But what it, what's part of the problem? I realized that when I'm peering at an X-ray or a CT and I'm still formulating my thoughts, I kind of peer into it ah, and I tilt off my posture. Yes. Secondly, our chairs are not that wonderful, so ergonomically they they. Uh, not great to begin with mm. but now I'm doing this myself where I'm actually forcing myself off my vertical axis so that's a, the poking chin posture the poking chin yes, yes that's what I do and so now what I've done is instead of leaning in I'm magnified up but I'm having to be so conscious about this. Yep. But if you do that 10 hours a day and your next damn sore by the end of this, sure. this uh, you know, the work day. So, so that's the second thing. And then we've come to something which is presenteeism, right? Yes. Right. So, yes. so I wrote an article for, for one of the business um, magazines probably 15 years ago. No, 12 years, 13 years ago maybe. Where at that time they estimated that presenteeism cost the country 1.4 billion rand a year. 100%. And maybe for your audience, we should just uh, define what what presenteeism okay. versus absenteeism. Do you want to do that? I'm quite happy to lean in there. You're right. Okay. You're, yeah, I'm good. You, okay. Okay. So presenteeism, and you can tell me if, if my take on it's correct. Yeah. Presenteeism is I've clocked in. I'm at work but I'm not as functional at work and I'm not as productive as I could be. Where absenteeism, I'm not at work, I'm not working. Absolutely, 100%. And, and the presenteeism doesn't come because you're surfing the internet necessarily. Yes. It's because you're depressed. Yes. It's because you're feeling ill. Yes. It's because you're in pain, right? Okay. So, so now we come to how do you measure productivity? Yes. Okay. So in radiology, it's the simplest thing in the world. How many scans did you report that day? Right. Right. But where South Africa lags the rest of the world, and this is something else I think is so important, is peer review. Yep. So, so I did an observership at uh, Beth Israel Deaconess, which is one of uh, Harvard Medical School's hospitals, uh, teaching hospitals in, um, sorry, I'm leaning away from the mic. Can you still hear me? Um, <laughs> okay. In, in uh, Boston. Yes. And what they do, which, is, which I think is phenomenal, they do a random selection of cases or cases that some, something has been missed. Mm -hmm. they, you can anonymize it because it's not a witch hunt. You know, so you anonymize it. You then show everybody else in the practice, and that's where you learn. You learn from your own mistakes, and you yes. learn from others. And yes. I'd love to say you that radiologists always get it right because we are perfect, of course. Um, <laughs> of course. But like anybody, there can be errors. Yep. But the point is to keep it to a minimum. Mm -hmm. You know, and then we talk about: Do you have breaks? Okay. Ah, so again, healthcare industry and mentality culture is no breaks, no lunch, no tea. And one of the things that I was advocating and have been is I want a 15-minute meditation break in the I middle of my day. Love that because now we understand the benefits of meditation. Right. And think how your productivity increases increase. in the afternoon and think how your error rate decreases. Absolutely. And in fairness, some guy going for a smoke break takes just as long. 100%. You know, right? Except he's not going to be having all the benefits of meditation. Correct. You know, so, so I think particularly if you if – you, are working from home you need to be disciplined you need to be comfortable and you need to also understand how to bolster your productivity Absolutely. by just giving your brain and i'm not saying just go lie down for an hour and have no. lunch 15 minutes well there's, there's a, an app called butterfly okay. and you've got a walking meditation you've got a meditation with peers you've got a children's meditation there's a variety you've got in the bath meditation i mean it's it's lovely for beginners so they walk you through a five seven eleven minute meditation so that's not a long break at all i think there's even one called work break okay. you just pop your airpods and make sure Amazing. you stand up walk around the house listening to your walking meditation 
and you know that you've done it right. and at least it's a start the further down you go with transcendental it's nice to do a 20 minute yeah but for beginners who haven't done it before and want to start somewhere it's a lovely way and, and to that's do the it. point start somewhere exactly right so so we've been talking about how how the business models have adjusted yes. so i'm going to talk to you now as a small business owner of my karate school yes let's you know hear because about that. i'm i'm facing the same economic impact that every other small business owner sure. has you know so it's been it's been an interesting adjustment so firstly you have to be creative because yep. the first problem is how do you provide that service i mean we're talking about a karate school you need you go to the dojo and you train that's yes, that's how you do it exactly so i created a, a complete online dojo so so my so my father and i have shifted obviously i've had to pull him with me a little bit yes tell me and about that Judy, so, because how old is your dad now? so my dad is 73. sure so he has to go online and of course, and listen, he he's, he loves his Facebook, um, <laughs> so so he, he for, for his age he's quite savvy, but it's harder for him. Yeah. Of course it is. You know he's not as familiar with the tech, and so so we've used kind of a, a dual platform, Facebook Live, which yeah. funny enough a lot of our members preferred because it's just simple. You get on, you don't need a code. There you are, and we have our closed members group. So yes. at least they know they're paying for the service. They get an they get an exclusive service around Brilliant. it. Um, I prefer Zoom. Yeah. Um, I find the tech a little bit easier, obviously, than my dad would. Yes. But and I like it because I can see the I can see them and I can interact with them. Yes. And what the, you know, obviously I teach kids from four years old wow. all the way through to my oldest student is seventy, but all the way from white belt to black belt, and it's we have incredible. different groups. So now you have to adjust it for that as well, because how do you keep a four and a five year old occupied on Zoom for well, only half an hour? How are you managing that? Tell us. So. It's, it's actually worked phenomenally well. I've made smaller groups yeah. so that you can keep tabs on them. Okay. That's a nice um, take out for teachers out there listening. Yes. Right. Um, you, you manage it so that they can see you. Yes. You watch them. And also you've got to adjust your class during the class. Yes. You know, because you can see what they're managing and what they're not. Yes. The biggest problem they face is spatial orientation. Because firstly, Zoom flips you around. Right. Um, so I'm doing everything... Mirror image. Oh wow! So that they look, so it looks the same for them. So that they, if I go the one way, they're going the one way, but it's my right and their left. So oh, I've okay. had to do that. Okay. Um, but also props. Okay. So I've got a wonderful woman who helps teach for me. Uh, her name is Sue. Yes. And she is the prop master. Okay. Yeah. So so she's come up with little games for them and props and you know engaging engaging. Them. And mm. what I did in my class last week is I made the parents engage. Brilliant. So I had mommy. So, for instance, to because karate is, has has the the fighting aspect. Yes. Obviously, with four year old, we're not making them fight, but we teach them very basic interaction. Yes. So I gently punch at them. They've got to block, for example. Yes. So what I got the moms to do is take like a little noodle or something soft, <laughs> and she gently whack them on the head. You know, <laughs> so they're now learning to block. Take a pull, pillow. Yes. Let them punch the pillow. And it's so fun. That, you know, it's yeah. fun. It's engaging, it's interactive, and the parents get involved. Absolutely. Now, leaning back into learning now, because I'm loving yes. which, because we've now gone all full circle right. back to their learning capacity. I wish our teachers would be teaching the way you're teaching, because talking heads, as they call it in, in TV, is just someone giving you instruction, and you can sit there, and you could literally be doing handstands, and they wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about learning that you were so excited about sharing that information. So, so, so I think you actually touched on a lot of it. So, so the first thing is, accountability right yes so let's step back from that you ha you have to have a structure when when are you meant to learn and what are you meant to learn because mm -hmm. you know radiology for example is so massive 
so do you just immerse yourself in it mm. which you can and you do sure. you know and you read around a particular case on a day and that's one way of doing it but i find it far more effective if i have a specific thing to do yes. so for example i'm starting a musculoskeletal radiology course on sunday yeah. all online for 30 days so i'm interested can i learn yeah no it's absolutely amazing so, so i've got to figure out when i want to do this the structure in place yeah you spoke about accountability so i need to be accountable to myself and go every single day i have to do what the curriculum is okay. right and then you also have to have intent to actually implement it yeah so so it's all very well to and and then it comes back to what Discipline, discipline, discipline. Yes, and you've just touched on the whole audiovisual and kinesthetic representational systems of people. Because the way you've described it now, it's learn, understand, interact, practice. Right, right. Have discipline. Right. And that's what I like about this course and why I opted to do it. So so you, you must understand within radiology, it's so massive that most people overseas actually subspecialize in an area. So they mm. only do musculoskeletal radiology or okay. they only do neuroradiology or they only do chest radiology. Okay. In South Africa, for the most part, we're general radiologists and we do everything. Yes. So, so literally in one day, I'll go from doing an MRI brain to a ultrasound of the abdomen to doing a, a swallow to look for reflux to then doing a facet joint block. I mean, my, sure. my day is crazy. Yes. You know, and, and not just mine, most, most, most South African radiology. Yeah. So I opted to pick a special interest area, which is chest, and that's my area. And so, for example, within our practice, I do all the, the, the meetings with the pulmonologists and cardiothoracic surgeons. And uh, we have other guys who are particularly good at uh, neuro or this and that. And what's nice within a practice like ours, because it's, we, we're quite big, um, if you need a second opinion in that particular area, you've always got the guy whose interest area it is, yes. you know, um, which elevates the general level of reporting in your practice, which is, which is the idea. Um, but what I liked about this, I, 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 my next interest is musculoskeletal. So, yes. so I'm starting to enjoy that, and, and it's, it's something I w really want to develop. And you, you've got to continuously learn, right? Absolutely. So what I liked about this particular course is it's very practical. Okay. You, you know, you're looking at real cases, He's showing you, you know, this is a dedicated musculoskeletal radiologist yes. who shows you the little nuances. And then, you know, you just kind of learn bit by bit. And eventually you just hit that critical threshold and suddenly you're really comfortable reporting those particular. Because it's applicable and you can use it. And what I'm finding a lot of people say when I, when I do my courses that I do in corporates is that they can apply what I'm teaching. And, and that's what we want. We don't just have this wealth of knowledge and then get stuck because we don't know how to apply it. So you've described a consortium of ways of applying what you're teaching. The last topic we can go into because we're running out of time is AI because you, you wanted to share some AI information with uh, us. Well, well yeah, just, it's just we were talking about learning. Yes. And, and so with the deep neural networks now, you're getting iterative learning where the AI itself keeps learning every time it sees a case. Yes. But, but, it's, but it's being used a lot in radiology. You know, a lot of people are, oh, it's going to uh, replace the radiology. And that's nonsense. No, it, it no. just can't. It's an impossibility. But it is a brilliant supplement for us and also democratizes healthcare in the sense that it, you can get it out to areas where there's a dearth of radiologists. Yeah. So, so it's almost like, it's almost like a, um, backing up and, and almost second guessing, maybe in a way where you, you can say, okay, yes, I was right. But it also it allows you to triage. Let it, you, know, you don't have to look at every single case or you're just a quick second read and it's done and done something. Like, for instance, I'm chest radiology you have to measure lung nodules. It's so mundane. Yes. Why must I measure it when the computer can measure it, measure the density, do all of that, takes off that kind of mundane yes. part of my day out of it. Then I have a look at it and go, that's a real nodule, that's not. Apply the clinical setting. Yes. Have, you know, because what AI certainly is never going to do is have a discussion with, well, maybe 
to a couple of decades time but certainly not in the near future have an out and out discussion with the clinician understand that and radiology can't be seen in isolation it's Mm. a multidisciplinary look at that patient well the thing that i've learned about when i've been looking at the robotics aspects of it is that the one thing that the robot can't do is it it doesn't have the cognitive ability that we do with you it's that higher level of thinking it's that cognition that the computer just can't have it's that putting x and z together because x and y because y is missing and trying to figure out that that quantum leap and we have that and and that's our magic right and that's what makes us better than the computer exactly there's just that x factor that it can't put it all together exactly. you know and particularly in radiology where if every little symptom you would have to have so many millions of pieces of data yes that for every conceivable little thing and that's that's a way off Absolutely. it really is well shane it's been an absolute pleasure having you with me today i've really loved it if people want to get hold of you what do they how do they get hold of you Okay, so certainly on the karate side, that's pretty easy. We have a website, which is www.dorfmankarate.co.za. Perfect. Um, so Dorfman is D-O-R-F-M-A-N. Perfect. So one F, one N. Right. So that's easy enough. My contact details are there. We have schools in or dojos uh, in Parktown North, Melrose, and Norwood. And you're operating now online. And we are operating online. So, so the one last thing I want to say is we've been able to expand our market. So Amazing. it doesn't actually matter where you are in the world. You can now get hold of me. You can do online classes and we're good to go. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so please take note of that. And from a professional perspective, LinkedIn would be your preferred? Yeah, from, well, I guess from the radiology. And also I give some corporate uh, um Talks, talks and events, know, yeah. yeah. So as so, well, yeah. So, so I have some corporate products, self-defense being one of them, which yes. relates to the karate. And the other one, which we did together, yes. is a performance optimization and leadership. So, so that I've done to quite a few of the, you know, wonderful corporates and yes. particularly their senior level, but it's also for talent pool. Well, the feedback I had from the one we did together, people loved it because what we did is we took the, the whole martial arts element of it and we right. took my neuroscience positivity element and we merged them into corporate capability. Well, with the MBA and with the healthcare. So yes. So it was a great mold with all of our Absolutely, all of our capabilities brought into one place. So a very special thank you to our listeners for taking the time to be with us today and for Shane for joining us and for sharing his diverse insight with us. Till next time, bye-bye.